You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by guest speaker Michael Chung. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Thank you, Pastor Joe, for that exaggerated introduction. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, let me just uh, briefly share a little bit about myself. Oh, there we go. That's a little picture of my family, my wife, best friend, keeper of the zoo at home. There are two little monkeys. Uh, she's sitting right back there. Married for uh, almost, no, over eight years now. Eight years. And uh, we've got a daughter, uh, Emmanuel, um, soon to be five, and a son, Matthew, who is two years old. Uh, I am from the suburbs of Chicago, same place um, Pastor Joe and Grace are from. Uh, our wives are actually super BFFs, and so that means Pastor Joe and I have to be friends, <laughs> have to be friends. But that's okay. Uh, I love Pastor Joe. By the way, he's the real deal. I know so many pastors. I've met so many pastors in my time in ministry, and um, there's very few, like Pastor Joe, that I can say that are so authentic and genuine, who really uh, walk what they talk and live what they preach. And that's the kind of pastor you guys have. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Can we all turn our heads to Pastor Joe and say, we praise God for you? <laughs> yeah, Pastor Joe's like, a little bit to me, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, praise the Lord. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and the title of this morning's message is The Finish Line. The Finish Line, because we're all in this race, we'll talk about what that means, but the finish line, just picturing what it's like to cross that finish line when everything is done and you don't have to worry about life or anything anymore, we'll talk about what it means to get to that finish line together. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. If you uh, have it, say, I got it. All right. If you don't have your Bibles, I do have it right up here. You guys can follow along on the screen. And then after I read, uh, we're going to take a moment to pray, ask God to really open up our hearts and give us hearts of good soil this morning. And then we'll jump right into the message. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. <coughs> the Word of God reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our awesome, awesome God. Let's bow together in prayer. Before I pray for us, I'll just give us 30 seconds. If you'll join me in praying that Lord would open up your heart, just pray for your own heart, that God, and through the help of his Holy Spirit, who is already here, would clear out any kind of rock or thorn or anything that may divide you from his word. Pray that your mind, your heart, uh, everything would be engaged as God speaks from his word this morning. Let's just take a few moments to pray. Lord, open up my heart. Give me hunger. Lord, I lay down my pride. Speak to me. Change my heart. Transform me this morning. And then I'll pray for us and we'll jump right in. 30 seconds. Let's make that your prayer for yourself.
Our gracious and loving Father, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord together. Father, what a joy it is to sing these songs of praise that remind us that we are not the ones pursuing goodness and mercy, but Lord, the Bible tells us, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall follow us all the days of our lives. Oh God, we thank you this morning for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one message, Lord, that gives us hope every morning, that tells us that hell-deserving sinners like us can become the most beloved and cherished children of God. Lord, we rejoice in that truth. And we pray this morning, as exhausted as many of us may be, from school, from family, from work, from children, we pray this morning that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Not the sleep we got last night or the lack of, not the hobbies that we're picking up, not the things that we enjoy. God, may the joy of the Lord truly be our strength this morning. So Father, we now pray that as we turn our hearts to your word, thank you that your word is absolute truth. And Father, we thank you for that because God, we live in a culture, Lord, where everything is just relative, Lord. Everything is accepted. Everything is tolerated. Lord, we thank you that there is no higher, greater authority than your word. Thank you that it is perfect, that it is the standard for all of life and living. And we pray now that as we yield to your word, you would speak to us and that you would give us hearts of good, fertile soil. Father, we pray against the work of the enemy. We pray that in Jesus' name, you would bind the work of the devil and pray, oh God, that our minds and our hearts would be fully submitted to your will and to your presence here in this very place at this very hour. Lord, we need you. We love you. Speak to us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, anyone here a long distance runner, cross country, track? A few people? Okay. Well, there's a, uh, there's a Swedish long distance runner by the name of Mikhail Ekval. I know it's kind of a crazy name. Ekval. Everyone say Ekval. Ekval, right? Swedish name. Uh, he's running a half marathon back in 2008, a little over 10 years ago. And as he's running this marathon, uh, right around the second kilometer mark, he gets like this stomach cramp. And so he keeps on running. And by the 12th kilometer, 10 kilometer, kilometers later, uh, this is what he looked like. Uh, there were liquefied juices kind of trickling down his leg. Yes, that is poo. That is poo coming down his leg. And so as he's running, uh, this is a national television. He's been known as the Poop Man. It's, you can Google it. It's a very famous runner now. His name, his name is the Poop Man because he pooed while he's running. But nevertheless, in 2008, uh, he finished that race. He didn't stop. He kept on going. And he finished that marathon. He finished in 21st place. And as soon as he finished, all the reporters were running to him and they're like, Mikhail, Mikhail, why did you not stop to clean yourself off? Why did you keep running? And this is what he said in front of national television. He says, no way, because if I stopped, I would have lost time. And then he said, if you quit once, it's easy to do it again and again and again, and it becomes a habit. The following year in 2009, he ran the very same marathon, and instead of coming in 21st place, he came in ninth place. And then in 2014, he set a Swedish national record and then moved on to represent Sweden at the European Athletic Championships. Moral of the story is to never quit, even if you have to go to the bathroom. Turn to your neighbor, never quit. Other neighbor, never quit. You see, this morning, friends, we are looking at an incredible text of the Bible that encourages us with that same message, to never quit. 
but to keep on going, keep on enduring, keep on persevering. Why? Because the Christian life is pictured as a race, like a marathon race. You see, we're not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back, sitting around waiting for the rapture to happen, but we are called to run a race of daily faithfulness which began when we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Can we hear amen to that? You see, as we look at this text in Hebrews, the believers who received this letter, they were also getting exhausted, just like many of us. They wanted to give up on living for the Lord, but we're going to see this morning how the writer of Hebrews encourages us as he encourages them to keep moving forward in our Christian faith like runners in a race. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at three important actions that we need to take. Three actions to take every passing moment of our lives if we're going to make it to the finish line. If we're going to actually make it, cross that finish line and say, Lord, I've lived my best for you. And they all start with the letter E, so easy to remember. Number one is we need to empty the weight of sin. Empty the weight of sin. We're going to see that in the first part of verse one. The second point is endure the trials of life. And the third point is embrace the Son of God. We'll see that in verses 2 to 3. And as we kind of bring this text together, uh, the proposition or the, the thrust or the punch to this passage is, as we run the race set before us, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what the writer is really trying to capture for us, that if we're going to live this Christian life, if we're going to get to the finish line, if we're going to make it and stand before God one day, that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus every passing moment of our lives. That's the thrust. So as we Jump into our text. First point is to empty the weight of sin. So let's go ahead and look at the very first part of that verse one. And it reads like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. If you look at verse one very carefully with me, it begins with the word therefore. Everyone say therefore. You know, whenever you see that Bible, that word is used a lot in Scripture. Whenever you see that word in the Bible, it should cause you to stop and realize that what you're about to read is the conclusion to what was just written in the previous Scripture passage. And since right now we're looking at the first verse of chapter 12, therefore is referring back to the previous chapter 11, which has been well known as what? If you've read the Bible, read the book of Hebrews, it's, it's the hall of faith or the heroes of faith. We're not going to turn there, but if you were to look through all of chapter 11, it describes the many incredible characters of the Old Testament, like Abraham, Noah, Moses, people who lived by faith and made it to the finish line, standing before God. So again, as we kind of put that in context, going back to verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... So picture with me as we're kind of capturing what this imagery looks like, a huge, dense crowd of people, kind of like what you would see at the sidelines of a marathon race, pressing in on the racetrack. And who are these people? The writer of Hebrews says, we are surrounded by them, a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are these people? Well, these people are the saints. They are the heroes of faith that were described in chapter 11, like Abraham, Noah, Moses, and I would also say, that this great cloud includes Christians that you and I personally know that have already finished the race. Anybody here have family members or friends, aunts, uncles, grandparents who are strong Christians and and have already passed away? Anyone here? Yes? They are included right here in this cloud 
of witnesses. And the Bible tells us that they're not watching us as we run this race like spectators in a stadium. You see the word here, surrounded by so great cloud of witness, that word witnesses in the Greek is marturon. Marturon, that's where we get the English word martyr, which means a witness who dies for their testimony in Jesus. So you see these great men and women, they're not witnessing what we're doing like guardian angels, and a lot of people, we think, oh, my grandma, she passed away. She's my guardian angel. That's totally unbiblical. There's no such thing as guardian angels. Uh, but these people are not watching us. They're not witnessing what we're doing, but rather, listen carefully, they are bearing witness to us. They're not witnessing what we're doing in our everyday life, going around, going to school, going home, taking care of family. They're not watching us, but they are bearing witness to us. What does that mean? They've gathered along the sidelines of our race and they hold out their wounds. They hold out their lives and their testimonies, their joys and their scars, and they say this, you can do it. That's what they're saying. All these witnesses are saying, you can do it. By faith, you can finish, so run. They're showing us that the Christian life can be lived to the end, that it can be done, and if they can make it to the finish line, we can make it too. Can we hear amen to that? Who here likes cooking shows like Iron Chef? Yeah, you like those cooking shows? Well, uh, long before like, you know, Iron Chef and Chopped and all those cool shows we have today, back in the 1980s and 90s, uh, there was this cooking show called Yan Can Cook. It's from Chicago, probably not broadcasted in Atlanta. That's okay. But if you recognize, this is Chef Martin Yan. He would cook these very elegant Chinese dishes, you know, in front of the TV, obviously. And at the very end of the show, he would end his show with this punchline in a very thick Asian accent. This is exactly how he ends every single show without fail. He says, if Yan can cook, so can you. So there's like hope. Oh, if he can do it, I can do it too at home. But technically we can't because we're not as skilled, right? So friends, in the same way, as I was thinking about this show, I'm like, wow, isn't that what these witnesses are doing for us? That the many saints who have faithfully walked with the Lord, they are now gathered all together. They're gathered at the marathon of our lives to say through the testimony of their lives, they're saying, by faith, I finished, and you can too. You can finish this race as well. So as we're running this race, the imagery here is we're not like walking through a, or running through a cemetery as though we're looking around seeing tombstones of people that have already gone before us, but rather this multitude of witnesses are still alive today. Can we hear amen to that? And they are actively cheering us on till we too reach the finish line. So verse one is practically telling us, look around you. Look around you at all the winners. Friends, this is why the word of God is so relevant to us. This is why the Bible is so relevant. This is why we got to read the Bible. Do you ever feel like God is asking you to do something, but you're afraid and you don't have the faith to do it? You ever feel like that? Then read about the life of Abraham. Are you here this morning and you find yourself having some issues with your family members, your mom, dad, brother, sister, you got some conflict, you don't know what to do about it, then read about the life of Joseph and how he handled that. Do you ever feel like your job or mission is too big for you, that God's given you more than you can handle and you've, you feel so overwhelmed, God, it's too much? Then read about the life of Moses and how he handled that situation. Are you someone here this morning 
where you've been wounded by someone. You've been really hurt by someone's words and you feel like, oh, I just want to take revenge. I just want to retaliate. Then read about the life of David and how he handled that problem. Friends, you see, the Bible is overflowing with examples of faith and perseverance under every imaginable circumstance. And these saints are witnessing to us this morning, you can do it. You can live this life. You can walk through that trial, that struggle. Can we hear an amen to that? So as the saints are cheering us on, they're witnessing to us with encouragement, what's the first thing that we need to do as we look at our passage? The first thing says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the writer begins that as we run this race, what do we need to do first? We need to put off. We have to throw away. We have to take off every weight. If you have the NIV, I love the NIV word hindrance. Take off every hindrance. And the sin which has a strong grip on us. Now there's a connection here between weight and sin. And the painfully obvious connection between weight and sin is they hinder you. They both hinder you from running the race with endurance. And I've kind of grouped them together into one category for this first point. But there is a clear difference and I want to take that into account. First off, let us lay aside every weight or the NIV, every hindrance. You see, a weight may not necessarily be a sin, but it is a hindrance. I want us to keep that in mind. They include things that may not be wrong, but they're wrong in the sense that they keep you from running as you should. Well, let me give an example. It's not wrong to run a marathon in hiking boots. Like if you're going to run a marathon, you're more than welcome to get on a pair of ski boots or hiking boots. You can run. That's, you're more than welcome to do that. But if you put on jogging shoes, you probably run faster. That's a hindrance. That's a weight. If you took off your sweater, if you're running a marathon race in a Santa suit, you'd probably run faster if you just had a t-shirt and shorts. I mean, can you imagine a marathon runner who has a backpack and you're running side by side and you say, hey, what's in your backpack? And they say, hey, I've got some soda, Twinkies, candy. I've got everything I need to finish this race. And you'd say, that's not going to help you. That's a hindrance. That's a weight. Let's turn to our neighbors and say, cut it off. Other neighbor, cut it off. What do we apply? As we look at this text, you know what the, the writer is asking us? This is what the writer is asking every one of us here this morning. What hinders your growth as a Christian? What pulls you back or what slows you down from your calling towards spiritual maturity? Some of us here would rather watch TV every night, play computer games, and then we say, we've got no time to study the Bible, got no time to pray. You know, one thing that I often hear as a pastor is, you know, Pastor Michael, is it okay to blink? Is it okay to watch this movie? Is it okay to pick up this kind of hobby? Is it okay to go to this party? Is it okay to read this kind of book? Uh, Pastor Michael, is it okay to drink alcohol? Is it okay to watch shows like Game of Thrones, which everyone's talking about? Is it okay to listen to BTS? Like, is it okay to do all this stuff? And I tell them, wrong question. The question should never be, is it okay to do blank? The question you and I as devoted followers of Christ, what we should be asking is, does this help me grow in godliness? If not, then cast it off as dead weight. That's a hindrance. 
that's a weight that's slowing you down. We need to learn how to examine our lives and scrutinize every activity and time spent and ask, will this matter in the light of eternity? Amen? I'm not into much sports, um, and uh, I had to look this up, but baseball players, before they step up to the plate to bat, You'll find them usually swinging with like three or four bats. You've seen that on television. And then sometimes they have this metal collar around the bat for training purposes. But when it comes time to bat, what do they do? They take the collar off or they go up with just one bat. What slows you down? Can we take a moment to ask ourselves that question? If you are a follower of Christ, not just someone who goes to church, but Jesus is on the throne of your life. He's the one you love. He's the one you serve. He's the one that's your master and king. What is it that slows you down as you run to him and live for him each day? That's what the writer is asking us this morning. You see, a winning athlete, a runner doesn't choose between the good and the bad. The runner always chooses between the better and the best, and we need to cut off those weights. Amen? We put off not only every weight and hindrance, but what else does the Bible say? We also put off the sin which clings so closely. I love the NIV version here that says the sin that so easily entangles. Entangling sin. You see, back in the biblical times, people, they all wore these long robes. And if you're a runner, you had to either pull it up and tuck it into your shirt or you had to completely take it off. So what is the writer saying here? The writer is saying here, you cannot run this race of discipleship, this race of loving Jesus, this race of being a Christian. You cannot run this race and make it to the finish line if you keep tripping over your sins. If you keep tripping over the same sin over and over and over again, what is the author doing? Is zeroing in on a specific sin for all of us a sin that entangles us and causes us to keep on stumbling. Let me give you an example. Abraham in the Bible, his entangling sin was what? His unbelief. It caused him to keep on practice lying, passing off his wife Sarah as his sister. Happened more than once. Jacob was a deceiver. Samson in the Bible was controlled by sexual passions. I would speculate every one of us here, myself especially, has an entangling sin that's the greatest hindrance to our perseverance and consistency in running the race set before us. And through the grace of God, we need to deal with it. Can we hear amen to that? For some of us, it's our pride. When someone just tries to step on our pride a little bit, boom, meltdown. For some of us, it's lust. I believe lust has monopolized our culture. Envy, you're never satisfied with what God has given you. Greed, got to have more. Anger. Friends, we are not called to perfection, but progression. Amen? The writer here is not saying you got to be perfect. You got to have no sins, no way. That's not what the writer is saying. But there has to be progression. Loving Jesus more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. So the last day of your life, the last day you breathe life will be the day you love Jesus the most. Amen? That's what the writer is here saying. We're not called to perfection, but progression. We need to lay aside this entangling sin and ask the Lord, help me to fight. So we not only empty the weight of sin, but what's the second point? Endure the trials of life. Look at the second part of verse one. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
Endure. Can we turn to your neighbor and like with like a squished face and say, endure. Oh, some of you are, this is, some of you look like this. Endure. That's not what you look like when you're enduring a race. Like, can you look at your neighbor with a squish? Endure. Yes, that's what endurance is, right? You know why? Because we are a generation that quits way too easily. Would you agree? Anything's tough? Oh, I'm just going to find another college major. Oh, find another job. Oh, find another girlfriend, another boyfriend. We are a generation that quits way too easily. That's a problem. We, are a pro- we have a problem with commitment. That's our, that's our generation, okay? Amen? But what does the Bible say? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's going on here? Trials and suffering are the norm of life. Turn to your neighbor. You will suffer. Other neighbor, it will get worse. But friends, as we look at the Bible, there's a perspective on suffering that you're only going to find in God's word. And what is that perspective? It says our father, he tells us all things work together for his glory and our good. Can we hear amen to that? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love when you look at the Greek here, the Greek word for race is agona. Everyone say agona. Does that sound like an English word? What does it sound like? Agony. Agony. Agona. It's where we get the word agony. If you ask any long distance runner, ask any cross country runner, they'll tell you that a race is full of agony. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. I mean, just the other day, Pastor Joe and I, where's Pastor Joe? I thought he was here. Oh, we were running outside in the rain, trying to, you know, grabbing Chick-fil-A for our, our family who were in the children's museum in a sheltered, air-conditioned place. But we were running in the rain, and we ran like maybe a half a mile, but it was agony because I'm out of shape. But it's agony. Every nerve fiber in your body, your lungs feel like it's going to pop, your legs feel like rubber. It's agony. It's a struggle. And the writer is saying that is the Christian life. This race is agony, and Christian life is a matter of endurance and struggle and difficulty. This is what we think, and this is what God thinks. Raise your hand if you're a high schooler. Anyone in high school here? Who's a high schooler? Every high school student, please, if you disagree, tell me. Every high school student will tell you life was easier when they were in grade school. Agree, yes or no? Yes? Why? Because every high school student will say that they didn't have the agony of massive schoolwork and testing and figuring out college applications. Every high school student will tell you life was easier when they were in grade school. Move up a life stage. Every college. Who's in college here? Anyone in college? College, was, was life easier in high school? Every college student will tell you life was easier in high school. Why? Because every college student will say, well, I didn't have the agony of figuring out how to manage my time or find a major or start thinking about what kind of job I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Every college student will say life was easier when I was in high school. Move up a life stage. Young working professionals. Do we have any young working professional postgrads? Yes. Every postgrad will tell you life was easier in college. Agree? Not everybody. That's okay. Well, every young working professional will tell you life was easier when they were in college. Why? Why was life easier in college? Because they didn't have the agony of getting up at the same time every morning, paying off student loans, figuring out relationships and life and possibly marriage. Every young working professional will say life was easier when they were in college. Move up a life. Every married couple. Who's married couple? Any married couple here? Yes? 
Grace, was life easier when you were single? Sound a little too confident, but that's okay. Every married couple in this room and out in the world will say, life was easier when they were single. Why? Because every married couple will say, I didn't have the agony of worrying about another person and navigating through the complexities of living with another sinner, like Pastor Joe, in such close proximity. Every married couple will tell you life was easier when they were single. Move up a life. Every parent, Pastor Joe, was life easier before kids? Every parent will tell you life was easier. Every parent will say life was easier, except him, before kids. They, because of kids, that's why you're tired. They didn't have the agony. Every parent will say, well, before kids, I didn't have the agony of sleepless nights. I mean, my wife was up all night because of my son. Sleepless nights, worrying about my children's health and finances and future. Every parent will say, life was easier before kids. Friends, the race we are running, do you see what I'm trying to picture for you? The race we are running is agony, and the agony does not end. It does not end. The grass is never greener. It's a struggle. And the Bible is telling us here this morning, life is not about your happiness. It's about knowing God. You know, it worries me so much when I hear people, especially Christians, especially Christians, they dream about all the wonderful things they're going to do when they retire. Like, oh, well, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to buy a vacation home. I'm going to live happily ever after. Yet not one person, not one person anywhere in this world can guarantee what their health will look like, what their economy will look like, what the world will look like. No one can guarantee that. Friends, life is not about our happiness. Amen? Life is not about our happiness. Life is about running this race with endurance and coming to know the God that we're going to spend all of eternity with. Amen? Amen? This is God's blessing, God's goodness. You see, God's goodness is not health and prosperity. God's goodness is his nearness to us when we walk through the agony of life. Growing up in an Asian American church, when someone says, God bless you or I pray for you, you know, we kind of picture that as prosperity, that you're going to go to a great college. You're going to get straight A's in high school. You're going to get the dream job. You're going to have a big house and big car. That means you're blessed. God bless you. God bless you. But I realized over time, oh my gosh, that's so wrong. God's blessings is not prosperity and health. God's blessing, listen carefully, is his nearness to us when we walk through the agony of life. That's his blessing. That's his goodness. And just as we sang this morning, surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Friends, we need to empty the weight of sin. We need to endure the trials of life. And what's the last point? We need to embrace the Son of God. Look at verses 2 to 3 with me. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus, the writer says. Look to Jesus. That's very intentional. Not Christ, not the Lord, not the Savior, or another name for the Son of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, the name Jesus deliberately focuses on his humanity. 
from Jesus' earthly life 2,000 years ago, he showed us exactly how to walk by faith. Isn't that awesome to know that Jesus wasn't some superhuman? He was just like us. If you pricked his finger, he would bleed. If he didn't eat, he would go hungry. If Jesus didn't sleep, he'd be tired, just like all of us. He knows how we feel. He was human, and yet he can walk on water because he's God. He can multiply food because he's God. He can cast out demons because he's God. That's the Jesus we worship. Can we hear amen to that? The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his ministry in the Gospels. How he trusted in God the Father at the beginning of his ministry when Satan tempted him. So much so that when you look at John chapter 5, it says that there's nothing that he can do by himself. Isn't that amazing? Even Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, said, what? I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. Start to finish. Jesus showed us how to walk by faith. And the author of Hebrews says, look no further than to Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Friends, what was it? What was it that enabled Jesus to run his race? Like, how is it that he made it to the finish line and, and endured, like, that horrible, horrible picture of the cross and suffering? What could have motivated him to follow through with God's plan and suffer for all of humanity? What does the Bible say? It was the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. In verse 1, the race that is set before us is the same joy that was set before Jesus in verse 3. The joy that was set before him. The joy of obeying the Father. The joy of reconciling lost sinners. The joy of being glorified by the Father. Friends, it was his joy that the Lord Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. As we close, looking at verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. That's a command, imperative. Consider Jesus. Why? Because you see, back in this time, everybody, they really looked up to the people in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, I want to be like Abraham. Moses, great faith, split the sea. Wow, let's have faith like Moses. And the writer is saying, don't look to anyone else. Just look to Jesus. Consider Jesus, because all those heroes of faith that you worship and love and adore, all of them looked to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the writer says. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As we close, the relay baton is now ours, every single one of us in this room. And how well you and I run this race, how well you and I live our Christian faith, it's going to matter a great deal to many people that will come before us, many people. Just as you and I are encouraged today by the many saints that have already gone before us and finished the race, I'm personally so encouraged by my father. My father passed away last year from Alzheimer's. He was only 67 years old. He was my spiritual hero. And just like he encouraged me, I pray that I would be one day, now receiving the baton, would encourage my children and those that will come before me. And the same is for every one of us in this room. So friends, let's run this race and not be quitters. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.